McShane Bible Study, day 159 and 160. And uh, we're starting with Deuteronomy, and we're in chapters 12 to 14. And um, I didn't have a whole lot. We're, we're heavy in the law right now. 12 and 13 both were various aspects, but they were all about how to worship the Lord and how to guard against worshiping other gods or other ways. And for them, they would, there would be actual idols and they would name their gods. For us, it's far more common to make an idol out of something else in the world that we give all our attention to, right? But look how strongly he talks about this. Um, he, so starting, uh, this is 13 verse one, if a prophet or a dreamer or of dreams arises among you and gives you a sign or a wonder and the sign or wonder that he tells you comes to pass. And if he says, let us go after other gods, which has not known, which you have not known and let us serve them. You shall not listen to the words of that prophet or of that or that dreamer of dreams, for the Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. So here he's saying, people, there might even be signs and wonders, but if they lead you away from the truth, you do not go. You must know the truth and walk in it, uh, because, you know, there will even be signs and wonders coming from the enemy. Verse 6 if your brother, the son of your mother, or your son or your daughter, or the wife you embrace. So basically saying, if even the closest person to you in the world, right? Your brother, your wife, I mean, she's talking about anyone who's super close, or your son, anyone who's super close to you, right? And basically, there's no one closer. You just list off the closest relations we have, right? Uh, parent, son, wife, that's... that's you know, the, probably the closest relationships. Let us go and serve other gods. If they say to you this secretly, which neither you nor your fathers have known, some of the gods of the people who are around you, blah, 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 man, he just, he really goes. But he says you should kill him. See how strong of a word that is? Now, the, it was a different life back then. I'm not saying we would actually kill someone right now. But we need to understand the seriousness of how he says, you have to walk in my way. The consequences of not walking in my way are severe. And if anyone suggests to you to not walk in my way, they are leading you into death. And you should, you know, what, what is, for instance, Jesus and Paul both talk about, hand him over to Satan, right? Like kick him out. They're stern words. Um, so we wouldn't actually take a spear and spear somebody today, right? That would be terrible, not thing. But it was a rough world back then, and that's how they dealt with things. So what we take is not that we use a spear or a sword on somebody, but that we understand the seriousness of God says, even if the, someone that's close to you that you would normally do anything for, if they suggest you, that you go against God, have nothing to do with them, right? Um, now, depending on the circumstance, you might take that opportunity to teach them about God, show them, no, this is the way, right? But 
he's just, I, I just am trying to point out the seriousness that God says, it's my way or no way, my way or death, right? Uh, 14 talks about the difference between clean and unclean foods and tithes and, and where to bring them and, and how to worship the Lord. And, and so, again, in all that we do, clean and unclean foods, what does that mean? Well, we eat every day. We need to eat every day. So if we're constantly thinking about him and how we eat, then we're thinking about him quite often, right? If we're tithing, it's about, you know, the, they specifically talk about animals because that's what most of them had. But then he even talks about turning that into money if that's what needs be happen. And most of us deal in money now. But if we're giving to God and to the worship of God, and, and this had to do with, you know, coming to the place of the Lord um, three times a year, they were supposed to go to Jerusalem and worshiping him and using this in order to uh, enable that. So we're not holding on to things of the world too tightly. We're worshiping him even in uh, the produce of what we have earned, right? And then we're doing Psalms 99 to 101. and I, I, They're wonderful Psalms of worship. I like how 99 starts. The Lord reigns. Let the peoples tremble. He sits enthroned upon the cherubim. Let the earth quake. The Lord is great in Zion. He is exalted over all the people. Let them praise your great and awesome name. Holy is he. It's just a great psalm of, of worship. Um, I accidentally read ahead and had more comments on something for tomorrow. Let's see, 101, I did, what did I say here? Six, I will, what, this is Psalm 101, six. I will look with favor on the faithful in the land that they may dwell with me. He who walks in the way that is blameless shall minister to me. So, you know, he's going about David's praying about how he lives his life and that there's kind of two different ways. There's the perverse and the righteous. He says, God will look with favor on those who live faithfully to him, who walk blamelessly because they're living for him. And then contrasted with the next verse seven, no one who practices deceit shall dwell in my house. No one who utters lies shall continue before my eyes. He says, I must have a clean, purified people. I cannot have a people that claim my name, but don't walk in my ways. And then we're looking at Isaiah 40 and 41. And uh, Isaiah 40 verse 3 says, A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. I think Matthew quotes that to talk about John, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then skipping down to verse 5. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. So you see here a crying out in the wilderness. And, and I didn't read verse 4, but it talks about valleys being lifted up, mountains be coming down, uneven ground be made level. So we see a massive upheaval, right? A massive change. And what is the result of that? The glory of the Lord is revealed. Um, obviously, the glory of the Lord was revealed in Jesus. But we also see a picture here of how does God work? Well, he started out with a voice in the wilderness and started shaking things mightily. And then the glory of the Lord is, is revealed in whatever he's doing in that new expression of his way in the earth. 
Skipping down to 27, it says, Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God? So you, you see a people crying out, saying, We don't know the way of God. Like It's hidden to us. And verse 29 says, He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. So he says, you know, you who think you're pitiful and too weak to, to walk in this way, he is the one that gives you the power to do so. Verse 30, even youths shall faint and be weary and young men shall fall exhausted, but they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. He said, this is the way. Seek me and I will give you the strength. I will give you the way. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. And then skipping over to chapter 41 and verse, starting in verse 14. Fear not, you worm, Jacob, you men of Israel. I am the one who helps you, declares the Lord. So again, you have the people of God crying out, saying, we, we, we need your help. We're scared. We're, we're afraid these enemies are going to overrun us, right? He says, I am your redeemer. I'm the one who helps. 15, behold, I make of you a threshing sledge, new, sharp, and having teeth. You shall thresh the mountains and crush them. So a threshing sledge was something they used to, I think, take down and take in the crops, right? So it's a kind of a machine that would just uh, obliterate this field of crops and, and take take the crops in, right? And he, but so he's using that as a picture in order to say, I will... I will make of you this. I will turn you into this machine that just takes over. So that you will thresh mountains and crush them. Well, so that, that's a metaphor, right? There's a big mountain crushing. It has nothing to do with a, a threshing sledge. But he's saying things that are too big and powerful you for you. I will take care of it. Trust in me. Walk in my ways. And I will do these things. And you shall make the hills like chaff. And you shall winnow them, and the wind shall carry them away, and the tempest shall scatter them. And you shall rejoice in the Lord and the Holy One of Israel. You shall glory. So he's saying, as long as you walk in my ways, I will do away with every problem that you encounter. 27. I was the first to say to Zion, behold, here they are. And I give to Jerusalem a herald of good news. But when I look, there is no one. Among these, there is no counselor who, when I ask, gives an answer. Behold, they are all a delusion. Their works are nothing. Their metal images are empty wind. So it kind of ends on a, a downer note. He's looking around at the people of God, and he's not seeing a people that truly live in God's ways. And uh, so there's a lot of talk of idols and the futility of idols. We just read in Deuteronomy... <clears throat> the strong word that God gave Moses to give the people against idols. And this is almost a thousand years later, maybe seven, 800 years later, something like that. And they're still, <laughs> they're still going after idols, right? He, God said this very clearly, but they still, they had to, for that particular issue to be done, they had to be carried away to Babylon. We just read in the last couple of days, the, um, that that prophecy started with Hezekiah, and now Isaiah is moving on to you know Hezekiah is not in the story anymore. He's giving more prophecy, but he's saying those ways must be eliminated from my people, and I will do what's necessary to raise up a people that lives in my pure and undefiled ways. Right, mm -hmm. and so 
in our day, we don't set up little metal idols often. I mean, you see them with Buddhas, like you see those. It's, and and uh, Hindus still do that a lot, so if you see that. But for the most part, in Western culture, we don't set up those kind of traditional idols. But we do make idols out of all kinds of things in our lives. And God's saying, put all idols I'll all idolatry aside and live for me and my ways and I will bless you. And then we're uh, ending with Revelation 10 and 11. And so we see some crazy things. There's this massive angel, right? And he's, he's, uh, he's got this scroll and he's crying out. I'm, I'm not going to get into all the details, but I'm going to just point out a couple things. I saw a thread kind of running through these two chapters. Verse 7, so Revelation 10, 7, But that in the days of the trumpet call to be sounded by the seventh angel, the mystery of God would be fulfilled, just as he announced to his servants the prophets. Well, that's a really cool thing, right? The mystery of God to be revealed. Um, you know, Paul talks about this mystery, right? Um, this mystery of what what is what's God's plan in the world? What is he doing? We talk about it all the time, like... Being a, being a part of what God is doing, offering ourselves up as servants to, as um, people willing and able to give everything for him and his purposes. We see the mystery being fulfilled, just as he had you know, previously pointed to in the prophets. And we talk about how the prophets pointed to these things all the time. And then uh, Revelation 11 starts... Then I was given a measuring rod like a staff, and I was told, rise and measure the temple of God and the altar and those who worship there. But do not measure the court outside the temple. Leave that out, for it is given over to the nations, and they will trample the holy city for 42 months. So it's three and a half years. Um, you'll see that three and a half number a lot. Right? We've talked about it before. It's, it occurs multiple times in, multiple times in this chapter, but also in the rest of the book and in other books. And in, we see in Jesus's life, a three and a half year ministry, three and a half days in Jerusalem before he was uh, executed and three and a half days before he was seen after he rose again, right? Um, he, he was killed on a Wednesday afternoon. That was the day of Passover that particular year. He rose on a Sunday. Now we know he's when he said that he rose after he'd be in the ground three days and three nights. So we know right right, right after the sun went down Saturday night, which would be the beginning of Sunday, he rose from the dead. Um, but he wasn't actually seen until a half day later when Mary came to the tomb, right? In the early morning while it was still night um, Sunday. Uh, so it's three and a half days each there. So just pointing out the, the three and a half, because it's an interesting parallel we see a lot in Scripture. And this is obviously prophetic of a future time. And when we see here, rise and measure the temple of God. Who are the temple of God? The Us. Right, the people of God, right? So rise and measure it. And the temple, if you remember, the temple had three parts, right? The Holy of Holies, uh, the Holy place and they're the inner court and the outer court and but he says leave out the outer court it will be trampled by the nations so this is something set aside and reserved for those closest to god walking in his ways 
Skipping down to verse 12, Then they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, Come up here. And they went up to heaven in a cloud, and their enemies watched mm-hmm. them. So we see these are the two witnesses. We see the kingly and the priestly, who were trampled and attacked by the world. I think I mentioned the beast. They were dead, and the world rejoiced, but then they, they rose again. The world startled, and we see a coming up to heavenly reality, right? And so what was what was all this prefaced by? The mystery of God being revealed. God's temple, his people, those closest to him, not the outer court. Um, and But then the, the two witnesses, the kingly and the priestly, um, all of a sudden overcoming death, right? Overcoming death and coming up into heavenly realities, into the throne room. Uh, we see great trouble in the world during this time. Verse 15, then the seventh angel blew his trumpet and there were loud voices in heaven saying, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ and he shall reign forever and ever. Well, that's what we all want, right? That's what, we're, that's what Jesus said to pray for, right? We see God's kingdom on, on earth as it is in heaven coming and Christ in his kingdom reigning forever. And Daniel, the prophecy talks about after the four major kingdoms, that there would be a kingdom that is everlasting. Verse 17, saying, we give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, who is, <coughs> who is and who was, for you have taken your great power and begun to reign. So now we see Christ reigning through a people. And then the, the last bit, 19, Then God's temple in heaven was opened, and the ark of his covenant was seen within his temple. There were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, an earthquake, and heavy hail. So again, reminiscent of Moses coming up the mountain, right? The presence of God with people. God's original intent for the people of Israel, but they refused to come up. Mm-hmm. God's original intent for mankind, but Adam and Eve left, right? Mm-hmm. But we see God still doing exactly what he planned on doing. His temple is opened to all creation, that his people can be known. His ways can be known through his people. The ark of his covenant, his presence is there. He is in his people. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Uh, that's awesome. All right. And, uh, well, just my favorite chapter, of course, is the next one. We'll start on that next time. And that's it for today. God bless you. God bless you.